Hello everyone. Welcome back to Danger on Delmarva. My name is Rhonda Franny Jefferson and thank you so much for taking some time to listen today. Today I'm introducing a shorter episode called a mini-sode. These mini-sodes will include updates if available on any previously covered events, reporting of events that have a shorter backstory, or those events that are still in progress, such as a crime where arrests have been made, but the full story has not yet unfolded. In some cases, such as many of those in this episode, the events coincide or they are related to events that are happening on a national scale. If the story is about something that is still unfolding, that may become a full episode in the future. So if you are new overall to the podcast, what I do is cover events that have taken place on the Delmarva Peninsula. And this includes the northern part, the northern east part of Maryland, all of Delaware, and Maryland to the west of the Bay Bridge. Before I get started, I do just want to say that this podcast reflects my personal interest in true crime, disasters, and tragedies, and more importantly, the exploration of how or why an event occurred to try to understand the reasoning behind the acts and decisions of others. I mean, no disrespect to any parties mentioned in the podcast. I have obtained facts for this information through all publicly available sources from the internet, the YouTube, or any other documentaries available. In some cases, personal observations about the area or knowledge about certain areas may be discussed. This podcast is produced for informational purposes, and as I have gleaned the information from publicly available sources, I cannot guarantee that everything involving accuracy, completeness, or validity, I or my podcast cannot be held responsible for any errors, misinformation, and time delays, such as there are further updates after the publication of the episode. As a warning, each episode may discuss injury, death, emotional and mental health, and may contain triggers regarding certain instances. So recently, we celebrated July 4th. And what does that mean for the July 4th weekend on Damarva? These days are filled with barbecues, grilling, beaches are open while people are flocking to the open outdoors for a first time in a long time. All along the east coast of Delmarva, hotels are filled, traffic is heavy, tax-free shopping at the Rehoboth Beach outlets abounds in Delaware, and a wide variety of restaurants and bars are open to help fulfill a tourist's evening. In Rehoboth, Mimicking an event from 2018, a 45-foot portion of the Henlopen Hotel's facade fell off. A facade, or an outward-facing piece of architecture that is usually used to hide something that is not aesthetically pleasing, fell to the boardwalk below. In 2018, part of the facade facing the beach at the Stuart Kingston Gallery fell off for reasons that were never determined. According to Google Maps, it is less than 500 feet between the gallery and the Henlopen Hotel. So far, reports are that the structure of the hotel building itself is safe, 
But it is concerning, especially as it comes so close after the condominium collapse in Miami and the gallery incident. It was extremely fortunate that no one was walking beneath this when it happened. The piece in question that fell off the hotel covered a metal framework, according to the hotel manager. This type of facade is on more places on the hotel, but they have been inspected and found to be in good condition. According to Rehoboth Beach City Manager Sharon Lynn, she has pondered whether or not the city code needs to be more strictly enforced. To me, the most shocking part of this story came when Lynn divulged that buildings are inspected annually, but that no report is required to be filed with the city. My thoughts on this particular piece of information is that it's hard to determine when any weaknesses started to show. I'm no engineer, but the beach towns along the coast are exposed to humidity and vast weather changes. Reports would not only be beneficial for that one building, but may also show any patterns or trends in building safety or lack thereof. Now just down the road from Rehoboth is Ocean City, Maryland. And I expect that this July 4th weekend, the town was vibrant, especially compared to the 2020 summer. Hopes were that things could get back to normal or as close as it could be this year. But things did not really get off to a good start. A water main had broken on July 3rd, slowing traffic as one lane had to be closed to handle the repair. And coming from someone who's worked in Ocean City, a lane closure in the middle of summer will cause a huge traffic backup, even if it's just closed for a short time. Soon, the city offices also started to receive a lot of calls about the parking charges. The city creates a lot of revenue through parking, and if you've ever tried to park in Ocean City or any other similar resort town, you may feel a sense of elation just to find a spot. While that feeling may be dampered by paying a parking fee, that's really not unusual for many towns, much less one that relies on tourists. Many people, though, received a shock when they were not able to use their cards and or they did not have the balance or available credit that they expected. All of these drivers used a parking meter kiosk. Those that used the app for parking did not experience any issues. So the reason they may not have been able to use their card or didn't have an accurate balance? That's because Flowbird, a third-party processor who processed the payments made at the parking meters, had decided to do an update on July 1st. I personally would question why a company would run this update on a day that was extremely close to one of the busiest days of the year in many towns that they actually processed for. This is a time when Ocean City would probably see the biggest influx of tourists in one weekend, only possibly being competitive with Bike Week, Memorial Day, or Labor Day. So with this update being run on July 1st, there was no time to get the bugs out before the meters were used and moss. And bugs there were. Charges were duplicated, in some cases 50 to 90 times. And if someone parked in a few different locations over the weekend and used a kiosk each time, that would run well over $1,000. To give you an example, a five hour parking cost is $6. 
and let's just say the family spent most of the day outdoors and they parked in two different lots each day. So that would be four different parking events and four times six of course equals 24. And if that was charged 50 times, that's $1,200. Think of it if it was a duplicate charge 90 times. The city shut down the parking meter so that people would not be charged the duplicate charges. However, this cost the town anywhere between fifteen dollars and $20,000 in revenue. Now, if people had used their debit cards, this would also have an immediate impact to more than just the vacation. Funds could be unavailable to pay bills that were scheduled to be paid. Most people don't have enough of a cushion to have a number of charges that were billed up to 90 times per charge. If using a credit card, those duplicate charges would drastically decrease the available credit. Flowbird was working on getting refunds out to customers, but I did not see anything about reimbursing any charges if the account was charged in overdrawn or over the credit limit fee or how customers were to handle other expenses such as food, gas, tolls, or anything else that they would not be able to buy because of the impact to funds availability. Some of this may also depend on whether or not the charges had actually posted to the account or were still in just a pending status. Either way, it had a very negative impact to many of the people who are just hoping to enjoy one of their first vacations or first vacations since the events of 2020. So the town did have a lot on its plate at this point. Now, while writing up my notes, I just automatically used a general saying to describe the situation that's about to come, but then I realized that there was an unintentional pun and I did not want to seem disrespectful the incident in question did not cause any major injuries. There were some minor ones, but I decided not to use the saying as it could have turned out much differently. And I wanna show respect for those that were injured and those that were doing their jobs to keep the community safe. As in many places on July 4th weekend, people began to get excited about seeing a fantastic fireworks display. People can look out over the city, surrounded by the Atlantic on one side and the Assawoman Bay on another. It's a beautiful and awe-inspiring backdrop. Fireworks can be seen all around, but not on this July 4th. While unloading fireworks on the beach that were intended for the Ocean City fireworks display, the fireworks went off. Thankfully, as per the requirements, there was a perimeter set up immediately around the vehicle. This helped mitigate injuries and employees of the company, Starfire Corporation, hired to handle the fireworks received minor injuries. Later, with the assistance of various other agencies, there were small controlled detonations of the remaining fireworks. Fireworks were scheduled to be launched from two other locations in the city, but as the cause of the explosion was not known, it was decided to cancel the displays at the other two locations as well. This was the first time that this particular company had been used. 
The company that Ocean City had previously used had layoffs due to the pandemic and were not able to handle the larger Ocean City job. I'm sure that many tourists were disappointed, but at least in my opinion, the Ocean City officials handled this in the only way that it could be. While one article that I reviewed said the investigation had concluded, the findings that the article reported was that one firework went off unexpectedly, which created a chain reaction by igniting other fireworks, which then subsequently exploded as well. I don't want to sound cynical or sarcastic, but in my opinion, this is not really a conclusion. Starfire would also be investigating, and the much more important question to find out is why the first one went off at all. The employees of Starfire were well-trained professionals, and this happened still. I had been thinking about doing shorter episodes to cover a number of different types of stories. There were a number of different events that led me to say that this was the time to do so. The facade of the hotel falling did coincide with the catastrophic building failure that's still unfolding in Miami. Concern and worry have to abound in the immediate area of the Henlopen Hotel, coupled with a sense of relief that no one was hurt. With the fireworks, the Ocean City explosion coincided with a disaster to a South LA community, where the LAPD attempted to have a controlled explosion of illegal fireworks. From the information that I've read and seen in different articles, the LAPD decided to detonate at location because they did not want to risk moving that number of illegal fireworks through the city. With any firework, there is always a risk. With illegal fireworks, questions can arise as to how they were manufactured, were any shortcuts taken, were any safety protocols followed, and so many different variables. In this case, there were 5,000 pounds of fireworks, which did include homemade devices. The explosion in LA injured 17 people. That was 17 people who were just in their neighborhood, sitting in their home or taking a walk, anything. And then there was this explosion. Approximately 75 people were displaced due to the damage on their homes. The truck that was being used to control the detonation, a bomb squad truck that included an iron chamber, somehow either failed to control the blast or the explosion happened before expected. These were also well-trained professionals, and it shows that some things, such as fireworks, can be dangerous and unpredictable even when in professional and learned hands. Ocean City was cautious, and that caution of leaving a buffer zone while unloading fireworks was sufficient enough to keep the beachgoers from harm. It just so happened too that this week, I've seen a few incidents of firework danger show up in my YouTube suggestions. One was a list of when fireworks injured or even killed people. These incidents ranged from non-trained people experiencing injury to professionals that had an event go awry, leaving spectators injured. Another episode was in regards to a fireworks factory that, like the explosion in Ocean City, seems to have just started with one firework, which led to more explosions and even took the life of firefighters, caused property damage, 
and helped erode the trust that a community had in its leaders. The city code inspectors who inspected the factory failed to show any foreshadowing of danger, just like the inspections in Rehoboth, or at least that we know of. Um, this community relied on its inspectors to ensure that the fireworks factory operated safely, yet there were a number of safety issues found even after the fires and explosions had leveled the factory. While I'm not saying that in all of these cases that unexpected events are caused by complacency, we may question, though, how much of a role this played in these events. In a previous episode, I said that while the actual cause of some highway accidents was a load shift, I thought that the overall factor was complacency. Load shifts are known to be an issue, but we're left to wonder how seriously that is being taken. We also may wonder if city inspectors thought that the facade looked safe, and as nothing happened before, it was fine. Software upgrades take place all the time and there are no bugs but that doesn't mean it won't happen. Then we have the Ocean City fireworks situation where the fire marshal acted in an abundance of caution, helping to stave off injury to those who were around the unexpected explosion. Maybe these different events should make us question things about how things are done, if safety protocols are always followed, or do we sometimes fall into a rut, doing things almost mechanically and we assume that each time things will turn out exactly the same, even if our attention to detail has waned. So again, not what Ocean City had expected for its return to normalcy, but I'm sure they feel thankful that it was not even worse. So we head a little further down south and we encounter Assateague Island, a stretch of land that flows from Maryland into Virginia. The Maryland portion is known as the National Seashore, and it is managed by the National Park Service. Assateague, as well as Chincoteague in Virginia, is known for its ponies, though primarily in Chincoteague. However, some still make their way to Assateague in both Maryland and Virginia. Some of my fondest memories include vacations spent in Chincoteague, walking around in an idyllic childhood, meeting a cat that I named Ginger, and that I visited every day during vacation, and I was shattered when we left and had to leave her. Though she did live next to the water and seemed to have a nice fresh catch each day that someone had left her. I visited the parks and beaches, and I've been fortunate enough to encounter the ponies, but I was also lucky. There are areas that are forbidden to visitors. This is for both the human and ponies safety. The ponies are wild. They are thought to be descendants of horses that made it to the shore when a Spanish galleon sunk off the coast hundreds of years ago. The Chincoteague pony is an actual breed in and of itself and possesses characteristics that are unique to them. They have adjusted to the limited diet that is available on the island, but their primary source of food is high in sodium, and they drink about twice as much water as other ponies do. One summer while in my early 20s, I visited Assateague and Chincoteague at least four times. I saw a horse that I named Clyde in the first two visits. He was in an area that was open to the public, so I was not breaking any rules. Chincoteague ponies, even though some are in Assateague, 
do have a thicker coat than some other ponies. I think I named him Clyde because he was larger than many of the other ponies, and he reminded me of a Chincoteague version of a Clydesdale. He was docile and not wild like they are supposed to be. I went back times three and four just to see him. I saw him one of those times, but I did not try to get close to him. I knew that if he were to be startled, I would not stand a chance against one large hoof coming back and kiss, kicking me. We can ask the woman who was kicked last year on Assateague National Seashore. There was a video that was viral about that. Then again, unlike this woman in the video, I would not get upset that the pony was sniffing my things, then hit it with a plastic shovel. I mean, she has to realize she's actually at his home, but she hit him with a shovel. So I could start getting into the Chincoteague pony penning right about now. If you're not familiar with what that is, I will also leave a link to that in the description. All of the sources that I used will have a link in the description, but mm, there are different people who have different feelings on the um, Chincoteague pony penning and you know, we may or may not do an episode about that um, later, depending on the amount of information I can find. But why should we be concerned if a horse is not wild? The horse becomes used to human interaction. They approach people in cars and they are not cognizant of all the dangers. On July 6th, a mare was found deceased in Assateague Island, Maryland. It is believed that she and her foal were injured in a hit and run accident earlier and the mare succumbed. The foal is still recovering, but seems to be doing okay, except for the fact that her mother that is supposed to nurture her is gone. Now, while also in either my late teens or early 20s, my mother and I did go down to Chincoteague and there is a park that you can drive around observe things and the roads are very clearly paved. While doing so, we saw this small animal who seemed to be lost. He was approaching cars and it concerned us. We did seek out a, um, a park employee and she advised us that they knew of the situation, that the mother had been hit by a car um, previously within the last week or two and they were trying to keep an eye on this elk, it was called a Sika elk or Sika deer. Um, and there was also a mother Sika that was not this, um, this foal's mother, but they did seem to have some type of bond and the motherless foal would sometimes go to the adult female. Um, so that was, that was good and important to know. And the park employee also explained to us that was one of the reasons why they did not want people to interact with animals or feed them is they got too used to the cars being there and then became more comfortable walking on the roads leading to more of them being hit. Since 1982, there have been at least 35 horses that were killed by motorists as well as additional accidents in which the ponies survived. If horses become too used to humans, as I've just explained, they are less hesitant about approaching people. This can also be detrimental to the human, even if they're not in a car. 
If a pony is acclimated to humans, it does not mean that its wild nature will not kick in. Even docile horses will bolt if scared. In this incident, the driver did not stop, did not report the accident or the injury to staff. To me, this is unconscionable. I understand that they must have been scared about hitting a beloved local treasure in a national park, but it was an accident. Even if the driver was speeding or driving recklessly, the intent of the driver was never to injure an animal. But once he or she left the scene, that was a conscious act that ultimately led to the death of an innocent animal. If given proper care early, she could have survived, and it's our job to help protect them. So, with this sad note, I'll end our first mini-sode. Even though now, looking at the time that it's run, it's a little longer than I anticipated. So in the future, I'll be sure to just include one or two stories instead of multiple ones like this. But I do hope that you found the idea of this format interesting and informative. I have a feeling that future episodes may be more about some crimes that are still being prosecuted or updates, shorter stories like these individually. It just happened that there were a number of unfortunate and damaging events that took place along the coastline, but if there is ever a time for them to happen, it would probably be in one of the busiest weeks. Now, if you do have any suggestions or feedback about this type of episode or any of the other episodes, please leave a comment or send me a message. My email and Facebook information will be listed in the description along with my sources. Usually um, I can get back on Facebook a little bit quicker than by email. If you would like to support the podcast, please like, rate, or leave a comment as this will make the algorithms find the podcast easier. So until next week, have a great one and I'll talk to you then.